Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm your host, Diane Gibbs, and I am joined. I can't wait to talk to him with y'all, Joe Bosak, and he's in Pennsylvania. But just so you know, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash design recharge. There's over 180 titles. I always mess up on that. Tell, let's just call them books. Over 180,000 books to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or wherever you're, you get your MP3s. So, um, okay, we're jumping in. And today is episode 291, so you can always find the show notes at rechargingyou.com slash 291. And we're going to jump into our interview with Bo. Joe. I guess that's, that's combining both. Joe and Bosak. So, <laughs> sorry about that. I know no you know worries. I know your name. Um, anyway, I'm glad to have y'all all here live, and we're just going to jump in. So, Joe, can you? We usually start off the time uh, with a little bit, like a mm -hmm. five, ten minute, like intro of a little bit of your background. Mm -hmm. Like, did you go to design school, and then you started working in um, yeah. the NHL? Can you kind of give them a little bit of the background, and then how long you worked for someone, and then? Mm -hmm. For yourself? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, the I, the fact of the matter is, I really haven't had a regular job for that many years. Um, I went to art school uh, in Philadelphia, Temple University's Tyler School of Art. Um, great, great place. I mean, just a fantastic experience there. I entered art school. I really didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know if I was going to be a graphic designer, if I was going to be an animator, if I was going to do something else. I kind of really went into it with a fairly open mind, you know. Um, ended up majoring in graphic design. I graduated in 1994, and I ended up at the Art Directors Club in New York. They have this thing that they do for graduating seniors, and um, they give, basically they're there to review your portfolio. And they're not there to give you a job, they're there to sort of like give you some advice on your portfolio. And the people that show up for this thing are not only graduating seniors, but art directors from all over town. So they had an art director from Sony Records there and from um, you know, another publication like Time Magazine or something like that. And I met, while I was there, I met David Haney. And David Haney was brand new at the National Hockey League. He was their director of creative services. And he was there, reviewed my portfolio, um, and he and I stayed in touch. And a few months later, he ended up hiring me. So I packed up everything I had which, you know, you're a college senior, you don't have much. So I packed up everything I had, moved to New York City, and I worked at the National Hockey League in their creative services department. So and you must have made a pretty good impression that in that, it, was this like a, a speed dating kind of thing where you have 20 minutes with one person, or did you just have David Haney? Nope, you got, you got it exactly right. It's like speed dating where you've got 20 minutes with this person, 20 minutes with that person, and you just sort of show them your portfolio. They give you a few tidbits, a little bit of advice, and you move on to the next table. Right. right. So, um, so anyway, so I worked at the NHL for two years and worked on some great projects while I was there. And that was really my introduction to graphic design in sports. You know, prior to this, I didn't know that you could work in sports as a graphic designer. I thought that they had big agencies and the agencies got the work and there was nothing, you know, there was nothing for a guy like me um, who was interested in that sort of stuff to, to sort of find his way into that world. 
So I worked there for only two years, and then in 1996, I left, and I took a job at Fila, the sneaker company. Mm -hmm. I worked at Fila for two years, and I, I was 25 years old. I thought, better get to getting. So I started my own business in 1998, and um, here I am. So 21 years later, uh, here we are. So were you married at that point? No. I know these are sort of personal questions, but we're... Yeah, no, no, you, listen, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything. Okay, um, no, so, I wasn't married at that point, no. So at 20, were you dating your wife? Yes, I was. Okay. So you had maybe thoughts that she, I don't know, maybe, but you yeah. thought you would get married, not, maybe not to her, yeah. but to someone at that point? Yeah, yeah. yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Okay, so, because I'm trying to kind of get the mindset, because yeah. honestly, it's, it, we talked about this a little bit, it's a, a little bit easier to kind of go all out when you're super young and you don't have a lot of, um, you don't have a house and you don't have kids and you don't have all these other things that are holding you back. Um, and just be like, Hey, I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work, I'll just get a job. Is that kind of your mindset or what? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I mean, my mindset was, this is something I wanted to do. Um, this is something that I always thought like as a, as a student and, and even when I graduated that, so that was the career path that I wanted to do. I wanted to be out on my own, row my own boat, as you, as it were. And um, I figured the worst thing, what's the worst thing that can happen? I'll just I'll go get a job. So I basically banked enough money. Um, I had $5,000 in the bank. I banked enough money to, to, so that I could survive rent and everything else for three months. And I figured after three months, if it didn't work out, then... I still have my portfolio. I still, I could shop it around and, you know, I still knew lots of people in New York city in that world and figured I still get a job. So what was, okay. So you had a three month cushion, but did yeah. you have a goal? Like you knew you could probably scrape by. Did you have like, Hey, I'm going to kind of reevaluate. I mean, I don't know any 25 year old that may be doing this, but like, Hey, I'm going to reevaluate and you know, when I'm 30 and see if this thing is working for me. Yeah, no, I mean, my, my goal was to just stay in business, you know, that was it. Like, I didn't, I didn't really think much further than that three months. All I knew is that, um, is that when I was at Fila, I sort of started to get away from the work that I really loved to do, which was identity design in sports. So that's what I knew I wanted to do. So I knew I wanted to do that, and I figured, you know, why not? Like, why, why, not, why not just go after it? All right. So you go after it and mm -hmm. then you are continuing to go after it and you yeah. actually went after it for a very long time on your own. Yeah. And, but one of the things is that every, cause I asked you this and I'm going to ask you mm -hmm. this again. Um, mm -hmm. All your, like in the beginning, were you doing only sports or did you kind of like you paid the bills and you did the sports things that you wanted or you did identities that you wanted and then you kind of just geared more and more towards those things or you also had other, like later on, you and your wife have other, I mean, you're both entrepreneurs. She's a mm -hmm. chiropractor. You mm -hmm. have your own business. It's a, and that, I, I well, Let's start with this question. Yeah. I know I'm all over the place. Well, you know, I, I, I wasn't actively pursuing things outside of sports. I was okay. only looking for stuff in sports. Now that doesn't mean that I didn't, you know, pull a job here or there uh, from wherever that would help pay the bills. You know, I used to do like t-shirt. I was at Fila. So at Fila, we did lots of apparel design and stuff like that. So I was doing t-shirts for 
um, a company in Philadelphia, and but that was still sports related. It was yeah. a sports brand that I was working for. So, but I didn't actually pursue jobs that were outside of the sports world. You know, I was really looking for team identity. I was looking for league identity, special event, those kinds of things. That's what I was really out there kind of hustling for. Did you have a mentor at this point? Uh, um, no, not at that point. No, not at that point. You Did know, anybody I mean, give you advice? I mean, David Haney was like my, he was like, he and I weren't, we were in communication, I guess, when I first started out, but not as much as we were before. But he was, I mean, he was and is um, still my, my main um, influencer, my main mentor, no doubt, no doubt about it. But I can't, I don't think that he and I were really like in regular communication when I started. I think I was just kind of out there, you know? So did anybody say, hey, Joe, you know, like this is ballsy or did your girlfriend which is now your wife yeah. did she say anything or were they like hey you can do this yeah well you know what i mean it was um i don't think anybody ever told me it was ballsy or if anybody ever told me that it was a crazy idea because it really was a crazy idea you know i mean you're, you're trying to break into this business that's like really hard hard to get into um but it was working you know I mean, my first day, my first day in my office, I, I, the first thing I did was pull out my Rolodex. Remember those things? <laughs> yeah. And I started like calling people that I knew, like old friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a friend there, Brendan McQuillan. I still work with him today. And um, he said to me, hey, you should call the East Coast Hockey League. Um, I know this guy over there, Jason Siegel. You should call him and see if he can give, he can see if he has anything for you. Maybe he has a project or something like that. So uh, my first day in my office, I got my cup of coffee, 9 a.m., and I make this phone call to the East Coast Hockey And I launch into my spiel, and I tell Jason that, um, hey, Brendan McQuillan told me to give you a call. Um, this is the work that I'm doing. These are the things that I've done. He thought that you might be interested in meeting with me, and maybe there's some opportunities to, uh, to do some work together. And the phone was silent. It was dead silent. And he goes to me, Brendan McQuillan. I ain't gonna get you anywhere. That's what he said. And I was literally, I, I could feel myself just shrinking in my chair, you know? But I mean, he was just joking with me. I mean, he was, you know, he was just having some fun with me. And he ended up, he's like, hey, you know, why don't you come up here on Wednesday? We'll sit down, we'll have lunch, we'll talk about it. So I went up there like a couple days later. They were in Princeton, New Jersey. I was living in New Hope, Pennsylvania at the time. And I drove up there and um, look, he, he looked at my portfolio and he gave me a job. So, I mean, was it, was it a crazy idea to get started? Probably. Was it ballsy? Maybe. But nobody ever told me that because it was working, you know, I was making money. I was doing work that I liked. So, yeah. So being young and being new, you may not have been part of those contracts and that side of it at some of these other companies. How were you able to how did you learn or did you just learn through experience like hey i'm gonna price this at blink yeah. um and then next time you're like oh my gosh they didn't even blink at that like it, mm -hmm. how because i think that that is the business part of design that holds so many people back from doing what you did is going out on your own it could be that you were basing it on what your needs were like which i don't think probably lasted very long because i uh do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, how did you learn yeah. that stuff? 
Yeah, I mean, well, for, first of all, when I first started out, it was it was simply an hourly rate for me. So what Which I would it is do, for most people, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like that anymore. Like I don't I don't price projects like that anymore. But for me, what I would do is I would say, okay, here's this project, this opportunity. I think it's going to take me X number of hours to complete this. Um, I always probably underestimated, right? It always took me a lot longer. And this is my hourly rate, multiply that together, and that's how I came up with, with my pricing structure. I still think, Diane, I still think that's a good way for young designers it is. to price their work. It is. To, to figure out your value, right? What, what is that? Is it, is it uh, X dollars an hour? And then take your best guess at what you think it's going to take to create this thing that you're hired to do, and then apply it. Right. So, okay. So, and when, when, at what point did you start? Because you work, um, one of your strengths, I think is, well, you have a few superpowers, but two of them that I kind of talked about in the promos was one, your ability to listen and to come in kind of a clean sponge. Mm -hmm. But then the one was also sharing, like going in and being like, Hey, you know what? TJ's really good at this. I'm going to bring TJ in on this project and that you're not, um, you're so humble. You're not cocky. You've done like big, big schools and big projects, but you're so easy to talk to and that you really want to like collaboration is where it is like this underlying fire in your belly that makes you stronger, I think, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think collaboration is important. You know, you're not going to be the best at everything. Um, you're, you're, and for me, collaboration is all about the what ifs, you know, I want to work with other people. I'll see their work and I'll say, I want to work with that person. What's going to happen? You know, how is this going to, how can, how can we both kind of grow, grow from this? And, you know, there's always been, I think in the design community, uh, um, people sort of shelter their, or shelter their, their pride of authorship, right? Everybody wants to sort of be out there in front of, front of their, their uh, in front of the work. And that's just never been that big of a deal to me. It's always been about doing the best possible work that I can do. And if somebody out there is better than I am at this, and there's a lot of people out there that are better than I am at this, um, I want I want to work with them. You know, I want to work with them. It's just it's it's um, there, there's something just energizing about that whole, that whole thing. You know. So this is one thing I asked you. I always think, you know, I asked Britt Davis this too, and she didn't ever even play sports. Um, but so did you play sports as a kid? Oh, as, a, as a kid, I mean, you know, as, a, as, as much as a kid does, you know, but I didn't, I wasn't an athlete in high school or anything like that, you know. Um, I always loved sports. I love, I love following sports. I love my local teams. I'm a Philly guy. So, I mean, all of my Philadelphia teams, I followed those. Um, but, uh, but no, I wasn't really like, uh, I wasn't really, uh, that much of an athlete. Yeah. So I wonder, this is what I think with this, cause I also was not much of an athlete, but I did play soccer all through like five years old till 18, but I knew where my spot was. It was on the bench and yeah. I was absolutely fine with that because I knew I was a better encourager than I was out there. I, like my team went to state. It wasn't because I was on the field. So I always think knowing that has helped me kind of being able to realize that I'm not the star player. I mean, although I think you're 
pretty stark quality there, Joe. But I think that has to be humility. I also think looking and seeing that maybe person A has some um, characteristics or does things that maybe you don't have and you can bring them on and you're not, um, it doesn't affect your confidence, right? It actually, you because you know where who you are and that you aren't maybe the best at this whatever person A does, I think it's been a great uh, blessing that I wasn't a great athlete, that I wasn't top mm -hmm. in my game because I didn't have, I mean, I was so familiar with failure, you know? Sure. No, I get that. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I think, you know, for me, it's like a collaboration is, it's, you're, you, not only do you get the benefit from, um, from the other person you're collaborating with or the other people that you're collaborating with. But you get this this synergy that happens mm. where um, everything that they do affects the things that you do, and the things that you're doing affects the things that they're doing, and it just kind of elevates the whole the whole project. You know, um, I've always been a firm believer in finding the right people for the job. And sometimes, mm. look, there's plenty of projects that I do where it's just I'm on my own, right? But then the, there's there are those opportunities where the projects favor. Uh, maybe the budget's a little bit bigger, or maybe the skill set is just a little bit different than what I can apply competently. So in those instances, I think that's really where the power of collaboration or the the idea of collaboration really kind of excel. And, you know, you yes, you have to be a little bit, um, you have to be, you have to open up a little bit. You know, you have to stay, you have to sort of be confident enough to say, um, okay, uh, this is this is not going to be all me. It's going to be a little bit of all of these folks that that are in there. There's a, there's a little bit of humility that has to happen in in that whole process, you know. And as my friend Paul Carew tells me, and I've sort of adopted it as my mantra, humility is the new black. And I think it's true, you know. I think it's true. It's it's something that you don't really see a whole lot nowadays in this generation because everybody's on. Um, everybody's out in front of everything, social media, it's very much sort of look at me kind of thing. Um, so you don't get a whole lot of that. Um, at least that's my perspective. I don't know. <laughs> and it is, there is a lot of um, look at me, look at me, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm, and it kind of gets inundated. So then being, so I don't think you lack in anything. I actually think this is, again, one of your superpowers is being able to see somebody else who and I think this is how you are a mentor to people. And I, I don't know if TJ, you can put it in the chat, but I think TJ would think of you as a friend, obviously, but I also think mm -hmm. of he would come to you if he had needed advice. Right. Mm -hmm. And Josh Ash is here too. And so I think he would be the same way. You know, it's like, um, so it's a way you're bringing these people along. You're seeing them as equals, which I think is, um, incredible, uh, for someone else that's, uh, newer into the industry but it's also that you you see what they can bring and i just think that that's like i think that's kind of lacking in maybe our generation um we don't maybe look at somebody because me and joe are the same age of course joe thought he was a year older than himself for a year do you want to tell him that story nah, it <laughs> okay <laughs> so Anyway, but I do, I think that, that there's some great parts of a, um, the younger generations, but I also think you have, you can't just be 
Um, do you remember when we were kids and it would be like two in the morning and there was nothing on TV? It was just static. And I mean, you know, it wasn't infomercials like there are now, but it was just static. And sometimes I feel like some people, instead of putting out great content, they're just producing static mm -hmm. and they're still like, Hey, Hey, look at my static, look at my static. And instead it would be great if they weren't eating potato chip sandwiches and they were actually eating ham sandwiches or, you know, something mm -hmm. with a little meat. And so this is where you bringing people in makes you stronger, but it also makes them stronger. And I think that it's, um, it's really such a golden part of who you are because it's not just people who are professional and they're working and doing design like TJ or Fraser or anybody like that. You also have interns. So you haven't been completely alone. There's definitely projects that you were completely solely alone, but why has it been important for you to have an intern working with you? Well, I, I look at it as, you know, I never had that opportunity mm. um, when I was their age. Uh, I never had the opportunity to go um, experience a working studio to uh, learn how you get from acquiring a job through to the final, you know, deliverables of that job. I, I never had that. So when I started working out, I mean, it was a lot of like learning on the job kind of a thing. And I think that if there's an opportunity to bring people in here, bring an intern into my office and just have them um, just observe, you know, if nothing else. Now, my interns are involved. I mean, they get jobs, they get projects, they get work, and, and they're involved. Um, but to be able to sort of see how the whole thing works, you know, I think that's, I just think that's really important. It's important to me because I never had that opportunity. I would have loved that opportunity. You know, I felt like I would have probably been, um, further along, uh, out of the box if I had that opportunity. So I just see it as a way to, um, it'll sound important, but a way to sort of give back, I guess. I don't know. I totally think, but that, I think that that's one of your strong points is that, but you're also knowing, you know that they can do it and you're not just getting them to clean the desk or organize the books or, you know, getting coffee. They're actually, it's important that they do the work, but it takes time for you. This is actually, it is an effort to have yeah. an intern. Oh, Diane, no doubt. I mean, it is, it's, it's more work than you think, actually. Um, to be able to bring somebody, you, you would think that you would think that okay, um, this person's going to come in, it's going to be an extra set of hands, it's going to be great, we'll be able to do much more. It, it doesn't work like that because mm -hmm. there's uh, first of all, you only have them for eight weeks, right? So I mean, pretty much by the end of the eight weeks, they're like ready to go, you know. <laughs> it's but so there's it's it's just a lot of work, like sort of preparing their day for them. You know? Exactly. So can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think sometimes people are, so when I've had an intern, I didn't realize I had, I mean, these were kids in my classes. So I knew, I knew more than you did what they could do, but I had no idea how fast they were. Yeah. And so I also didn't, and they wanted to do really good, like they would for me on a project. And so they would spend extra time, but I couldn't pay them for, I remember one girl and I mean, I love this girl, but she did a, I, one of my clients is a doggy daycare mm -hmm. and it was a father's day gifts or father's day certificate, like best dad, you know, she was like making a border around it. I had budgeted like, 
you know, I was going to bill the client like $27. I mean, it was, I thought this would take like 15 minutes, you know, like nothing. $27 was, I still thought a steal. Well, she took $40 because I was paying her $10 or $11 an hour. I was like, wow, I just lost money on this gift certificate or this whatever. And I think for me, it taught me, oh, they don't understand about time because in school, Time is, is how much time you have between now and Sunday or Monday when it's due. And yeah. I think that those were things I didn't know. And so now I have, hey, here's how much time I want you to track. And I give my kids time sheets sometimes in class. And I say, hey, feel free to track your time because I think that they don't know how long, but they're learning. So it's going to take them longer. Anyway, what do you do with that? What's been like a key for having an intern for you? Um, like, what do you mean? Like, what do you like, mean? A, like a tip. If you would, were telling somebody like Karina's uh, here and if she had an intern coming in, she's in Portland and she said, okay, well, yeah, I like what Joe and Diane were talking about. I want to do an intern. I want to give back. But what would be a tip that you would tell Karina? Like, so that her workflow doesn't get so messed up or her, yeah, well, the intern really helps. Yeah. That's, I mean, it, it, depending upon how long you have the intern for, I mean, that's really the challenge because there is kind of an onboarding process where you really have to get them up to speed with um, your workflow, number one, and how they can best fit in there. So what I would do um, with my interns and, and I don't think, you know, results may vary. I don't know, but um, with my interns is I would just kind of plan out their day to start. And I would say, you know, I, I'm in my office very early in the morning and I would say, okay, they're going to be here at nine. They're going to be here from nine to five. Um, and I have this project, this project, and that project. A lot of times they were things that were um, either very simple production style projects that I could kind of go through with them a little bit and just kind of wind them up and let them go. Or they were blue sky creative projects, which you can also just wind somebody up and just kind of like let them go, let them go for the day. But I think the most important part of it is to just, is to look at it like this is not, don't look at it as, oh my God, this intern is going to make my life easier and they're going to go get my dry cleaning and they're going to go walk the dog and they're going to go get coffee. And that kind of, don't look at it like that. Look at it as um, what, what can I leave this person with um, today? You know, like what, what, can I, what can I give them that's going to be valuable to them down the road? So that's what I would always do, you know? So I love that. Uh, so it's really about, okay, so this goes into one of your other um, skills is listening. So you're actually seeing what their skills are, seeing how you're, it would fit in and, and really utilizing them, but you wanting them to be better as they leave you. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I mean, I, I try to take every intern and I, I've been good so far. Everybody has gone to um, some sort of client meeting. So they'll come with me to um, uh, initial presentation of a project, or depending upon where we are in my schedule, they'll come to me with um, an initial discovery session with a client, um, but, or they'll come with me on a pitch to a client. And I think that, that those are valuable things too, because oh, they yeah. how this works. And my clients, my clients love it. They love when you bring an intern with you, um, my last intern went with me to New York City to the Jackie Robinson Foundation, um, which Jackie Robinson Foundation is all about education. So, um, you know, to have them there and sort of see how we present initial concepts and how we do it, um, 
it's just to me that's just really really valuable that's more valuable than you know coming in here in the office and you know working on whatever um just going out to those things i agree completely so yeah. another thing that is um you and i talked about was soft skills and how being good at reading people. So as you go into a initial presentation or as you go into a discovery uh, meeting with a client, you're reading people and this is an incredible skill. Do you think you've always had that skill? I think that, I think it's one of those things that you either have it or you don't. Mm. You know? um, I think that, that there's some, some things you can teach. I don't know if you can teach, personality you know and i think that's a lot of what it is um i think good soft skills in a meeting um whether it's a uh, if you're pitching a job or whether you are initial discovery or whatever the case may be um the power of likability i think is really important you know and i think if people um you know if people people feel comfortable with you they feel like okay this is going to be a six month eight month project I don't know what this is. Oh, I'm not going to get that. That's just going to rain for a little bit. Okay. Um, so if this is like a six month or an eight month project or a you know 10 month project, whatever it is, am I going to be able to, you know, stomach this person for that time, that amount right. of time, you know? And I think that's important. Am I going to be able to spend this kind of time with this person? So, um, yeah, I think that, 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 uh, you know, soft skills, being able to communicate, personality, likability, all of those things are really, really important. Um, if you're out there on your own, you know, if you're running your own business. Absolutely. Okay. So at what point did you decide, Hey, David, I want to work back. Let's be a two man team because this seems like a, a shift. So you were living in New York for how many years? Uh, I was in New York for five, almost five years here. Okay, so then you moved back to Philly or back to Pennsylvania? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so um, kind of paint that picture of what was going on and how, because again, he has different skill sets than you, oh, right? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, similar, um, complementary, I'd probably say, um, skill sets and, and just really kind of transform the way that we do everything. Everything, um, because you know, here's here's the here's the thing. As far as I'm concerned, it's like you can you can run the business, all right, and then you can change hats and then you can go over and do the creative, all right. But if you're doing them both at the same time, you're not going to do each of them extremely well at a very high level. So what David has done is he's basically he's running the business um, on the day to day client maintenance and proposals and pitching jobs and all of that, all of that sort of stuff. And then like I'm project over, management. Yeah. Oh Doing yeah. That too. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then I'm over here on the other side um, to, uh, sorry, that was just a, that phone call turned into a text. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, uh, so you're on the other side, David's doing I'm running the business. What are you doing? So I'm working on the creative basically, and I'm working on, um, just the, the, the design of and, and managing our, you know, freelancers and other folks that are in, that are in on those projects. And what I found is that it, you don't have to, you don't have to switch gears. You can sort of stay in the zone. And I think you get things done better um, at a much higher level 
when you're kind of like, you know, separation of church and state. So what was the impetus of like, did you just talk to him? Did he, was he at a point in his career that he wanted to go out on his own or he wanted to? Yeah, exactly. That's right. I mean, he, he was at a point in his career where he was looking for another opportunity. You know, he wanted to do something different, you know? And, and I met David called me and said, let's, let's get together for lunch. So we, we, he, David lives in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, Old Greenwich, Connecticut. So between Old Greenwich, Connecticut, and where I was living at the time, you know, the middle ground was like central New Jersey. So we met at this diner in like Hackettstown, New Jersey. And we sat down at this diner and just started to talk about how this whole thing was going to come together. And my first response to him was, wait, you you want to come here and, and do these things? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. You know, I was like, I was uh, thrilled is probably too soft of a word. <laughs> Because, because you know, man, it's like it's like I didn't want to do that kind of stuff, you know. Because that wasn't fun to you, right? But you'd you know, done it. It wasn't. Not only was it not fun, is that um, I just I, I I was competent at it and I could get it done, but I wasn't like really good at it, you know. And I wanted to be really good at it. So. Right. You know, you know. Well, so okay, so I feel like it was like a honing. Uh, yeah. um, you know, you're, you're getting even closer to doing what, so how has this industry, so you were having to wear both hats for so many years, like 15 years? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. So you're wearing both hats and now you able, you're able to just kind of focus in and is it, uh, how does one, a, a kind of small industry niche industry, it's kind of ballsy. Like I said earlier, that's an okay word in the Gibbs household. So, um, cause we don't cuss. So anyway, <laughs> my mom probably is like, I don't think that's a good word, but anyway, <laughs> so, so you have this, you're go, so you go out on your own and then you also have this niche thing, niche yeah. universities, sports. Uh, it is a small industry. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't think you're crazy, like, but it sounds a little bit like, hey, I'm going to go do things with diapers. You know, that's, a, that's yeah. all I'm going to do is diapers. And it just sounds like, whoa, can you make enough money? Are you going to be waiting tables on the side? Right. And so, but it's also, if I was in diapers, uh, that sounds bad. Anyway, if I was in a specific yeah. industry, yeah. I might get bored after 20 years. How yeah. has this industry kept you invigorated i actually feel like you've gotten even more excited about certain things as well so how do you keep it fresh yeah. well you know even even though i'm hyper focused um you know I, I i've said before i'm sort of i'm in a cubby hole inside of a niche you know is really because i i'm an identity designer and an identity designer in sports and what keeps it fresh for me is that every project is different um yeah. Every need is, mm. yes, the, um, the end result in regards to brand identity is essentially the same. You have, you have certain components that are often repeated throughout brand identity in regards to primary logos and secondary logos and word marks and those sorts of things. But every project is different. Every circumstance is different. The client's goals are different. Mm. Uh, you know, so to me, that's what, that's what keeps it fresh. You know, I get... I just get so excited when I go on a, on a, on a new college campus, right? And I've been on, I mean, a hundred of them, 
you know? Um, but when I go to a new one and it's just to sort of see the differences that are there and to see sort of like what makes that place different than the 1600 other colleges and universities in, in the country. And then kind of like, um, prospecting those nuggets of uniqueness and then being able to apply them back in design. I think it's just, it's just, yes, it's the same industry. Yes, it's the same business, but every project is different. Every day is different. So you talked to me about how you come in and, and I think this is your strength is that you are able to come in as a sponge, completely empty, ready to get filled up. I think this is really hard for a lot of people. And I actually feel like the longer you have go and experience, you could be like, no, no, this is what you need. You know, they're coming to you because you're an expert because you've done this and you do this so well. But how do you maintain that sponge like childlike creativity and or curiosity to be able to ask the right questions and, and experience the right things when you're talking to either um, uh I don't know what the, the owner of a team, I don't know who you would talk to at a team level, but, or if you're talking to like the, the marketing department at a university or something. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I don't go in with any preconceived notions ever because I don't pretend to know anything about their business. I don't pretend to know their pain points. I don't pretend to know like what's, what's best, what's best for them. So I try to go in to all of these things with, um, with just a complete open mind to all of this and um, really just kind of looking for those, um, those things that, that make them, that make them different than, uh, than every, than everybody else. But I think it's important to, to walk into a room um, with the understanding that you don't know anything about any of them, you know? So like one of the things I always like to do on college campuses is take admissions tours, you know? Um, which always looks stupid because I'm the 45 year old guy on the admissions tour and there's all these, you know, 17 year old, 18 year old kids on the admissions tour. And I always have to explain, okay, I'm here because of this. And that's why it's not weird. Don't get weird. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I love, I love doing those things because you get, you get really kind of that, the job of, of, the, the, of the tour guides on admissions tours is to tell you why this school is better than the 15 other schools you're going to apply to, right? And to me, I think that's just like a great perspective on, uh, on to get a really good sense of kind of the different nature of this place, what makes it different from everybody else, you know? But if you, if you start going in with, um, with, at least in my experience, if you start going in with very specific ideas on what somebody should or shouldn't do, uh, it, it'll lead you to a solution, but it might not be the right solution. So do you do research about the university before you go in? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, we you know basically, I mean, what you, as much as you can without being there, you know, right. as much as right. you can without being there. Because what you learn from the about page on a college or your university's website and what you learn when you're actually there are two different things. Absolutely. Do you try to go on, like if it was um, when you're um, doing a school that maybe doesn't have um, – a football team maybe and they're just they have other athletics or are you trying to go during a time when that thing yeah. is happening so you get a feel 
Or Absolutely. yeah, I mean, it, it's sometimes you can control that. Sometimes you can't. You know, depending. Sometimes a project will start in the summertime and there's nothing going on. Right. Um, but um, you know, if there's a marquee sport that that particular program has, yeah, absolutely, I'd love to love to take it take take it in. Um, David and I were in Colorado Springs recently. We're doing a job at Colorado College, a project at Colorado College, and they have a standout, excellent uh, men's hockey program. The school is Division Three, but their men's hockey program and their women's soccer program play Division One. So the two stellar athletic programs. Um, so we went out there, and, and it just so happened that it worked out that it was uh, a night that they were going to have a hockey game. And of course, absolutely, definitely want to experience that because I want to see how they, what their their um, on field, on court presence looks like. You know, not only in what they, what physically what they look like, but what in the game presentation makes it different. Mm. Right. All right. So I got to ask you this because, um, and I'm going to share this so that people can see. Um, so my parents went to Georgia and you did the University of Georgia logo, which they love and it's beautiful. And um, the arches are a incredible. So if you're at the University of Georgia and you've graduated, you are able to walk under the arches. If you are a undergrad, you are not able to walk under the arches. If you are a kid of a graduate, you are not. I have never walked under those arches. Um, so I think, you know, using that piece, you might not have known that had even, I don't know if you knew that before you went there, but you definitely know that if you talk to an alumni or you talk to somebody else. So you knew that there was this cornerstone of the university. Mm -hmm. um, when you're going in, I realized this was sized incorrectly. I'm so sorry. It's like really tight to the edges. I knew, noticed that early and I was like, mm, what is wrong with that? Anyway, um, I should have found the different one. Um, but anyway, so you're going in, I mean, you'd have Mississippi state too. Um, mm -hmm. And then well, we're going to get to that. So the Mississippi State's a great example. <laughs> you have to envision this being used small, you know, on a pin, uh, on a on a hat, and then also on the side of their, um, you know, wherever their coliseum or whatever this is. Yeah, so this can yeah. be huge, a huge issue. Um, how are you able to? Um, is it just through discovery? And how long are these discovery sessions? Do these last, do you go for one meeting and then you go back? Or, no. or is it different with every client? No, I mean, our discovery sessions are usually a couple of days, um, one or two days. You know, usually, and if it's one day, it's an all day, um, all day affair. And we meet with all different sorts of constituents from, from, that, from that school, that university, that team, whatever the case may be. And we just ask really specific questions about, you know, who, who they are and really kind of dig down into their, um, their, their the essence of, of that place, you know. Mm -hmm. And every single one ends up being a little bit different. I mean, some of the questions we ask are a little bit different. Um, you learn an awful lot um, when you go into those sessions. A couple of projects you just showed there at Georgia, for example. You know, Georgia had this, um, this Power G logo. This, yeah. uh, um, like Green Bay. It was very similar kind of to a Green Bay G. It, yeah, right, exactly. And that's, we can go on for hours on that story, but um, they had this very, very powerful athletic logo. And on the institutional side, they, they sort of wanted something like that that was equally as, as powerful. Now, their options were to adopt that Power G logo and utilize that university-wide, and that would have been fine but they still felt like there was a distinction between um, uh, getting fired up on a Saturday afternoon for a football game 
and this Institute of Higher Education. So what we did for them is we developed a logo that was, you'll notice the color balance in that logo was really similar to the Power G, and the boldness of how that was drawn was sort of comparable to the Power G to be able to give them that. Well, we, you don't, we wouldn't know that without engaging in those um, conversations and talking to lots of people and kind of getting their perception of, oh, well, th this, this symbol is really important to you. Why is this symbol important to you, the athletic G? And then how can we sort of translate that over to, a, to an institutional logo? So Mike, uh, I'm so, I was going to say that Mississippi State logo is actually an interesting, an interesting mark. That's the word mark to that, to that project. And I presented that logo as part of my initial presentation. It was very similar to that. It wasn't really, um, I don't think it was different at all. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it, but I, I loved it. And I knew that it was going to be something that could really be an important piece of their identity. So in the second round of presentations, I just put it back in. And they still didn't like it, but they didn't like it a little bit less. Mm. And then eventually it just kind of, I think they just got sick of me putting it back in. <laughs> and kind of got, it was adopted on the logo sheet. And that, that picture where it's on the back of the scoreboard, um, that was the first application of it. Those letters were like 12 feet tall. So, wow. and now if you look at every Mississippi State uniform, oh, yeah. they, wear that, they wear that way. I see that all the time um, because we're, it's very near, you know, people drive from there, yeah. from here to go to those games. So yeah. Michael has a question. Michael's in sports as well. He's in Houston. He says, on average, how long does it take to complete a university athletic rebrand? Well, it's usually, probably different, but yeah, they're all different. Yeah, they're all different. And it really, what we usually do is we usually have a, a finish line. In, in place. Now that could be um, the start of a fall semester, that could be um, a homecoming game, or that could be um, at the end of the school year. So we always try to sort of um, uh, put, our, put our timing towards whatever that, end, whatever that end goal is. But it's usually anywhere from six to eight months typical for us. Now we have had projects that um, from start to finish have been a little bit longer, but those tend to be things that are a little bit more involved. Um, for example, we did a couple of years ago, uh, reimagined all 90 NCAA championships across 23 sports and three divisions. So that's a bigger project. That was well over a year um, in design alone. Forget about the research and the testing and all of those things. Um, it was a, a, very, a very lengthy project. But for typical... Um, athletic identity in the collegiate level, anywhere from that, you know, six to eight months, usually. All right. So Naomi had a question a little bit ago, and we have like 10 minutes left. So I want to make sure. She, so thinking about more early Joe, 28-year-old, 25-year-old, yeah. um, she said, uh, okay, so if you didn't estimate and you're really doing it time-based based on your hourly rate at this point, did you update your invoice if you worked more than you had estimated? No, I never did. You always ate that cost as learning. Yeah, sure. Well, I wouldn't say it as learning. I just didn't, I just didn't have the, I felt like if you give somebody a cost proposal, that's a contract, you know, and mm -hmm. I did it, you know, I did it. So I, I think that's important to, to, I think relationships, blah in a small industry are really, really important. Um, and you've been able to 
this is a way of building trust. And this is one reason people continue to trust you. They continue to give your name to other people um, of somebody to work with because, um, and I think it's good to start out as doing that from the get-go. So if, if you miss, it's always good to have a cushion, I think, even when you're starting, when you're early, maybe you do a range like from three to $500 instead of, then that way you have a little bit of a buffer. I don't know if you did that early on. Uh, no, it was, I mean, I think that people want to know, I mean, yeah. when it comes to pricing a project, people want to know what it's going to cost. And I tried to be uh, fairly specific. I didn't always get it right. You know, there are plenty of times I got it wrong. And when I got it wrong, I got it spectacularly. <laughs> but um, I think Naomi's but, in that same spot right now. Yeah, but um, but you know that's sort of the that's the the progression of it, right? I mean, you're going to learn. You're going to learn from those things, and you learn a lot more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. That's for sure. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. I want to talk about kind of what's next because we don't have I have a ton more questions, but not enough time. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about the Alliance Football League and I'm going to pull this up and because this is something that you've never done. And why is this so fun to you? Well, it's uh, well, first of all, it's, it's I've never done a project like this before in my life. Not only is the scope of the project just massive. So tell um, people because people might not know what this is. Yeah. Well, the Alliance of American Football is a brand new football league started on February 9th, and it's eight teams that play in eight different markets across the country, and they have a 10-game season, starts the weekend after the Super Bowl, and it ends the weekend before the draft, um, the NFL draft. And uh, um, when I started this project, I mean, I was, in, I was in very early in this project on the ground floor, so... Um, when we started, we really didn't have anything. The league didn't have anything. Didn't have any visual identity whatsoever. And we started off with developing the league identity, which was a project in and of itself. And then after that, developing all eight teams wow. in, in the alliance. So their their logos, their helmets, their uniforms, their um, what the field looks like. And the referees' outfits or uniforms the referees or whatever. Uniforms, yeah, which the, our first week was a little rough because they were they were sublimated a little bit low, so it looked like they were wearing bulletproof vests, but we fixed that. Um, and then, uh, uh, and, you know, and, and the, the championship and the trophy and all those all those sorts of things. So what's been really fun for me and really, um, you, really interesting about the whole thing is that it's this immersive design experience where you are, you're, you're involved in, in everything. Mm. Um, you know, talking to the industrial designers that are going to kind of take your sketch and, and create this trophy, for example. Um, you know, talking to uniform suppliers and learning about um, their particular requirements and some of the limitations that they may have in regards to colors and fabrics and all of those sorts of things. So being really involved in this at the very basic level from the get-go has been really fun. And to watch it sort of come out and um, you know, be able to go out and watch a football game on a Sunday or on a Saturday and, uh, and just see, see the whole thing in, in play, it's just really, really cool, you know? Um, I've, I've never done this where it's been an entire league's worth of brand identity at the league level, the team level, everything. Um, in fact, I don't think there's that many people out there that have uh, done something like this. So, is it scary? Um, 
Or is it just more exciting? No, I, I, th I don't think it's scary. I mean, I've done these projects before, you know, I've done team identity before, I've done league identity before, so I really relied on those experiences. But I just never did this many all in one shot. So it wasn't really, it wasn't really scary. It was just, um, it was just a time management project. Were you know, they we started team identity, Diane? We started team identity, eight teams in um, the second week of June. I was on vacation, and we started this right when I came back the second week of June, and we basically had all eighteen identities done and in the can by September. Whoa! Yeah, I know that was that's a sprint. So that's I have a, a question: Did they pick their like they were going to be the Tennessee Titans or whatever? Did yeah. they pick that and they gave that to you, or were you on that side where hey, these are, people are going to be the Eagles, these people yeah. are going to be the whatevers? Well, the, the naming process was ahead of the design, so obviously. So the design started in June, but well before that, we were talking about potential markets, and you know, we had no influence there. I mean, the markets are the markets where they're going to play. But we did, have, uh, we did identify, I think, 10 or 12 initial markets and then did um, naming studies. So what, if you're a team in Birmingham, Alabama, what are the – um, what are the the unique you know nuggets of Birmingham that like the steel will, yeah right, like the, furnace or something right. exactly all of those sorts of things what are the what are the what's the local economy like I mean mm. what are the names that will resonate with those fans so yeah we started there and then we compiled this list of names we narrowed it down and then and then when when the names got narrowed down we did we did mood boards. And the mood board say, okay, with this name, these are the images that come to mind. With so you've that been, name, these you've been on the on the on the field the entire time, like from the get go, naming yeah. everything. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been it's been wild. And then from there, um, you know, we had we knew we were going to have eight teams. We didn't know where those markets were going to be. So from there, then it was a matter of um, identifying color patterns. So we did two very comprehensive color studies on professional football, specifically uh, the NFL, and what color palettes look like in the NFL, and then tried to identify eight color palettes that would be um, uh, not only uh, as much as you can be unique to teams in the NFL, but also unique to each other. Um, yeah. So that was, a, you know, so that was, and plus there was all sorts of challenges in there. Uh, the uniform supplier only had a very specific type of fabric that we could get in time for our initial eight teams. And it only came in whatever, you know, 20 colors or whatever is what they had in stock. So you have to work with um, what really is on the surface, very basic color, color choices, but combine them in, in unique and different so, for example, the, the team in San Antonio wears silver, red, and burgundy. Well, in, in isolation, each one of those colors is very ordinary. Um, collectively, when you put them together, it makes really kind of a unique color palette in sports. The team in Arizona wears bright yellow, green, like a forest green, and orange. Again, three relatively ordinary colors, easy to source, easy to match, but when you put them together in that combination, they feel really fresh. So it's just been really, it's just been an absolute blast. And I've never worked with a more, um, uh, with a better client in regards to respecting the creative process, to valuing creative. 
Um, you know, to a lot of clients, um, not, I, haven't, I haven't experienced this much in my career, a handful of times, but to some clients, um, design is a commodity, mm. you know? Uh, there's, uh, there's, there's, and they put very little value to that commodity. And that's why you have things like, you know, all of these like low cost design options out there and people just figure they'll buy on, they'll buy on price. This was great. This was a different kind of um, project in that they really, really valued the the creative side of it. Well, it's going to sell, it's going to make or break um, the league, I think, you know, because it is the visual. I just think it's so interesting creating all this at once yeah. So difficult yeah. because usually a team will, they'll have some teams and then they'll, another team will add in, you know, right. you know, exactly it's right. not all at once. So you're, I can only imagine that you have this um, white board and then you're able to kind of think, okay, who lives where, who's going to be these really big rivals? Where are the rivalries already? You mm-hmm. know, and I, I would think that that would kind of come into some of this as well. I mean, I love football. So I, Oh, sure. Absolutely. Like, you know, there, there's so many different factors that, that come into play when not only rivalries that you're trying to build between these teams, but rivalries that already exist within those cities. You know, sometimes you, you have to be you have to be aware of some of that. So you're not kind of overlapping in uh, in certain in certain places, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 challenging. And then on top of that, you know, there was this underlying uh, creative thought that these teams should align to some degree. I mean, this is an alliance. So there is some continuity and common thread between all of these teams. Um, I've gotten Twitter criticism that, oh, all of those teams, they look the same. And that's kind of the idea, you know? The idea is that they would have this connective tissue between them that they would all feel like they're coming from the same. And that was an important consideration to the client. And so you're, you're building eight teams, but now you're building eight teams inside of eight teams. So you're trying to kind of create uh, this, this whole connective piece. And it's been, it's been a blast, you know, it's just been a blast. It's been so much fun. So that's awesome. That's what I did, that's what I did over my summer vacation. <laughs> you know, it's like you go back to school in September. What did you do over your summer vacation? Right. <laughs> I built a football league. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are really um, amazing. So I can't wait to see everything that you've done. So I want to ask um, a couple questions that I always ask. This will be kind of high end, but I did. I loved this when we talked before. I loved this answer because I think we've painted a great picture of somebody with huge successes and just go after your dream or whatever, but it's not always been easy. And there have been times when you have not even uh, you enjoy sports and there have been times when you couldn't even watch yeah. something. Could you tell, tell yeah. that story a little bit? Yeah. You know, it's, you, you get immersed in these projects, you know, you, uh, you, you live them, you sort of eat and breathe them. And there was a time in my career where, you know, I would, I, and I, I, you know, I would sit down and watch a college basketball game. I love college basketball. And I couldn't do it. I mean, I had to turn it off. It felt like work, you know. It felt like, it didn't feel like the diversion that sports really is for, for us as human beings, you know. Um, and it took me a while to kind of like um, get, get that love back, you know. Um, and it's, uh, 
I don't know what you call it, if you call it an anxiety or whatever, but it was, it was definitely, um, it was something that, that it, it just took, it took something that I love that I've spent my whole life doing and made it feel like, like real work, you know, like real, real work. And, uh, it was uncomfortable, you know, but I mean that, that's, that's, you know, I've been able to sort of get over a lot of that. With, How, how have you done that? With, I think this I, is I think, a normal. I think, I think you know you got Sometimes you just gotta ask for help, you know. Mm. And like through the collaborations that I have, um, to be able to um, in those times when you're not really feeling as um, creative as you should, or you're not, or things aren't really hitting, just to be able to go out and ask for help. So I'll call like I'll call a guy like TJ, and I'll say, TJ, I got this project, and. I just, I need some help, you know, and, um, and, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll weigh in and help. Um, my friend Fraser Davidson, I mean, just like a fantastic collaborator of mine for many years. Uh, and just and not only a great friend and just an overall solid human being. Um, but I'll call him and say, Hey, listen, I'm struggling with this project and I'll throw it. I'll send him a sketch or I'll ask for his input or whatever. I'll ask him to help me round out a presentation. And um, to be able to get that help when you need it, I think is really, is really, really important because you can only beat your head against the wall so long, you know? And sometimes a fresh perspective is all you need or, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you, you may be a one man or for many years you were a one man team because you're not, you and David are a team now. David does all the yucky stuff and you get to do all the fun stuff. we We sort of share some of the yucky stuff. <laughs> I, I'm just playing them, but it sort of it paints a picture of obviously he's really good at that, um, oh, but you still have to um, create that. And Andre's here from Portugal, and he's kind of creating, trying to create this creative group that can be people he can trust. And I think it's good to start small. I don't think that you're doing a ton. It's not trying to make it big. It's just trying to have really good quality, quality relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can do these things. You've done these by going to these sports conferences. And I know TJ goes. Yeah. Um, so what would you give uh, uh, Andre as an example of something he could do in Portugal for trying to build um, a small team of people that he could trust and he could turn to when he's in that kind of yucky place? You know, I think, well, it sounds to me like he's already doing it. You know, I think that you go and, and find people whose work you really like you mm. really love and connect with those people because if you can if you can um if you're if you're a fan all right if you're an admirer of the work that they do um it, it's gonna it's gonna help those th that collaborative you're gonna feel better about collaborating you're gonna feel better about connecting um connecting with those folks and you're gonna be confident in the the advice or the wisdom that they give you you know d designers if you it's it's pretty easy you know you can you can find designers whose work you really really love and you can say you know what that's a person i could ask some questions to because they get it you know they they they're doing what i want to do you know and and they can help you figure that out so i think that's it's it's not like um it's not like you you have to kind of like find out like like find out about a person's personality like cultivate a relationship and understand their personality you can go to their dribble page or you can go to their website and you can see their work and you can say okay 
this is a person that I want to I want to try to connect with. Because there's already the respect of the work that yeah, they, right? exactly, exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. There's already that 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 level of respect. All right. So one last question: what would what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, my younger self, man. Like would, the 25 year old you that's yeah. starting, if, if you did have like a, I mean, I actually feel yeah. like David's probably been in your life. Like he has had such a, oh, um, you know, yeah. a, effect. Maybe he's had some desert times, but yeah. you, you know, if you, and I think that's why you do what you do with interns and other people. Right. But what would you tell that if you had, were sitting across from him at that speed dating yeah. Um, yeah. at the art director's club, yeah. what would you tell you? I probably, I probably tell me to uh, slow down. Mm. You know, it's it's not a race. You know, life's not a race. It's not that you don't get extra points for finishing early. Um, just slow down. Um, don't be in such a hurry to, um, you know, hit these hit these crazy imaginary goals and just kind of like just experience. A, ex- experience these things rather than having them experience you just kind of like, you know, be, be part, be part of it. Slow down. That's what I would tell myself. It's not okay, a- I, okay. I lied. I'm going to ask one more question. So you've yeah. worked from home for many years. You're just recently, yeah. you and your wife have bought a, a building and you're going to have another kind of form of income by renting out other uh, parts of that building. We're trying. Yeah, Cause we're it's trying. revitalization, yeah. right? Well, we're hey, yeah. Yeah. there's some yeah. office space opening up in the, <laughs> where yes. Joe listen, lives. That's listen, right. Everybody, come work with me. Come work with me. It'll be fun. It's going to be a great space where uh, what I really want to do is I really want to try to do it as more of a, a creative kind of space where there's an opportunity to bring others in that are just starting out or folks that maybe need a little bit more mentoring or need somebody there to kind of give them a little bit of guidance or advice on a daily basis. And that's really what what that's all about but you're right i did i did work at home i still work at home i'm here um for a really really long time yeah so and you talk about taking time that you would take hey don't rush so yeah. but there's been some pros you have two boys and there's been some pros mm-hmm. about you being at home right oh, yeah. definitely now no i do travel a lot because i still i'm still out seeing clients on a regular basis so i do i do travel a lot but what i love most about being here is that um I'm not missing anything. You know, my kids are 15 and 17 and I haven't missed anything. Uh, if there's a sporting event, I'm there. Um, if there was a band concert, I was there. Um, if there were homework questions, um, I'm here, you know, um, I just feel like I haven't, I I feel really, really lucky in that regard is that I haven't, um, I haven't missed too much of their, um, growing up, you know, well, and I think that that's a huge, that, you know, that advice, I think you're telling yourself to slow down. I think that this is one thing that you've always done. You've kept your family really priority and you've been able to kind of flex in your schedule um, when you had meetings or when you had to leave or when you had to go somewhere so that you wouldn't, so that you could be present. Because if, if your wife is working, then if the kids are sick, then you're still working, but at least you can kind of let them be in front of the TV or something or in bed asleep, you know, and and you're there. And so it hasn't been, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, well, you know, you're just working in your house, you know? And I think a lot of people have that, but you're saving so much money on a, um, 
on the upfront cost of having an office space. Yeah. You know, yeah, no, I get that. I mean, yeah, I, I get all of that, you know, and, and when I started this thing, I thought, I thought, well, this will just be temporary, right? Where it'll just be, I'll just be here um, in a home office uh, temporarily. And then eventually I'll get that office space and I'll be out, you know? So my wife and I, when we got married, we lived in um, Doylestown, Pennsylvania. We moved up here about 10 years ago when my kids were young um, to sort of get them closer to grandparents. And this is the town I grew up in, actually. Um, so, and the town she grew up in, too, interestingly enough. That's another story entirely. But um, uh, we moved back here to get our kids closer to grandparents, closer to aunts and uncles, all of those, those sorts of things. And when we moved back, we did buy a building for her practice, and it was a two-story, small little office building. And my plan was, well, we would renovate the second floor at some point, and I would move my office into there, and then I'll get this office space. And we ended up having somebody out of the blue knock on her door, come into her office and say, hey, do you have any room for rent? I want to rent an office. So we rented the second floor to that person, and I'm still here at home. But, but I do, we do have plans. I mean, my goal here is to ultimately do, that's David, actually. My goal here is to do, um, is to do in town, is to create um, a space where I can have my office, but again, a place where people can come in and start a creative business and have that support system in place um, and have the resources that they need to be able to to, to do it, you know, because that's been a, that's a con is that you're working alone and that the creative, if you are creating, that's why you're creating a creative space where a co-working space where people could, um, have, because that can be really, um, you can feel very alone and only with your ideas. And sometimes it can, you can just hit a wall a lot of times when you're working alone. So yeah, totally, totally. Absolutely. All right. Well, Joe, thank you so much for all your time. And I would just want to make sure that everybody knows how to follow you and to reach out, give your uh, web address. So you guys can follow Joe at Joe, J-O-E, Bosack, B-O-S-A-C-K.com. So JoeBosack.com, or you can follow him on me on Instagram. These are all be in the below wherever if you're watching on youtube or mm -hmm. if you're listening on itunes or whatever all these links are below at instagram.com slash joe j-o-e-b-o-c-o -O. so um joe thank you so much yeah. i am very uh -huh. thankful uh that you came on and so many people uh jeremy slagle says you do amazing work and thank you um and uh crew says thanks joe yeah. so Thank we've, you. Uh, uh, Diane, we've been talking about doing this for like years. I, you know, years. I think it was my first Creative South. I think mm -hmm. that was 2014. And I asked you then. And it's yeah. just, uh, so I, hey, but, but it was perfect because the Alliance League wouldn't have happened. So we wouldn't have been able to talk about that. Cool. So it always go. happens for the right fun reason. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Diane. It's been fun. Thank you so much. And guys, I'll see you next week. It's a rapid recharge and you can always follow the show and support it at uh, patreon.com and get a free audible book and a 30 day free trial at audibletrial.com slash design recharge. Thanks Joe. And thanks y'all and have a great day. See y'all. Hey, I just wanted to tell you about a couple ways you can support the channel, the show and the podcast. 
One, you can get extra content delivered to you to patrons only by going to patreon.com slash Diane Gibbs. And then my favorite way to build websites has changed a little bit recently. Um, I am now using the Elementor plugin with the Divi theme. The Elementor plugin works with almost any theme. It makes almost any theme invincible. This plugin has changed the way that I've been able to design websites. It was allowing me to work at such a faster speed where other plugins fell short. Now I don't need that. I just need Elementor. You go to bit.ly, bit.ly, slash dr elementor my favorite theme of course which i've told you about before is the divi theme it gives you complete control i purchased the lifetime plan which was 250 dollars. i believe that's the same price it is now and you can for the lifetime you never have to pay a renewal fee every year which it's about i think 80 dollars. it is a based off of a grid system and now i need one theme and i can do custom sites and it allows me to use strategy and customize for their needs instead of trying to adjust a theme that already exists and the last thing that i love that i use every day is audible audible has changed my business and has changed my life i listen to more books than i physically read nowadays i listen when i work out when I mow, when I have a long commute. These are all affiliate links. So that means if you click on the link and purchase an item, I will receive an affiliate commission. So that's it. Those are ways to support the show. Thanks.